All right. Don't let on mess up. (laughs) Dear God, thank you for letting us have this time together just to learn more about you and dive into your word. Please be with on and give her the words to say and um, that our hearts and our minds would receive it. Thank you for everything that you have placed today so that we could be here. In your name, amen. 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 So just a recap on the book of Matthew is that we have to remember that Matthew wrote this book for a Jewish audience because his entire purpose of the book is to convince the Jews that Jesus is the rightful Messiah. That's why he started his book with a legal genealogy of like, like this is why Jesus is it. And he tracks all the way up and like this is it. And then he's constantly like he's referring back to the prophets because he's like, this, this, this is what the prophets said that the Messiah would be like. And this is exactly what, the pro- what, what Jesus is doing. And so the, the section of scripture that we're in in Matthew, we're in the midst of miracles. So Jesus is healing people. He's traveling. He's having all these crazy experiences. And last, and last week we talked about how they were getting into the boat and crossing the Sea of Galilee, which was known in that time as a highly volatile like body of water because of the way it was positioned and so it would be normal for like raging winds to sweep through and cause great storms even though it would look fine and so Jesus asserts his authority in that moment over the waves by calming the sea and the response of the disciples were like who is this guy that even he can essentially like create calm where there is like this great (laughs) storm and we talked about like the value of with scripture digging deeper and so we're in the midst of these miracles but we're also in a midst of what Jesus is talking to with his followers about what it actually means to follow him that what's not just miracles but it's discipleship and so as we're talking about this we're continuing the story so now Jesus is on the other side of the lake they had the, the nature miracle And now they're on the other side and Jesus gets out of the boat. So we're going to be reading from Matthew 8, verse 28 through 34. And so uh, it's a couple of verses. So why don't um, we start and just one person read a verse and go clockwise. So Twee, can you read read Matthew 8, uh, verse 28? Yeah, 8, verse 28. Yep. When he arrived at the Odyssey in the regions of the Gardarinus, two demon-possessed men coming from the tomb met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? What version are we looking at? Oh, any version, matter. whatever version yeah. you have. So verse 30. Pardon, you just read it from your mom's phone. Verse 30. Oh, we have a message. Oh, that's fine. Do it. Just read whatever you have. Do it. Do it. No, that's fine. You do you. Read 28 through 30. Welcome to house church, nephew. They landed in the country of the Gadarenes and were met by two madmen, victims of demons coming out of the cemetery. The men had terrorized the region for so long that no one considered it safe to walk down the stretch of road. I lost it. Sorry, guys. You're cool. And no one considered it safe to walk down the stretch of the road anymore. Seeing Jesus, the madman screamed out, What business do you have giving us a hard time? You're the son of God. You were supposed to show up here show up here yet. Off in the distance a herd of pigs were browsing and rooting. The evil spirits begged Jesus, if you kick us out, kick us out of these men, let us live in the pigs. Perfect. Do you want to read verse thirty one, Rebecca? Verse thirty two, sorry, verse thirty two. Jesus 
Every time fled and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon possessed man. How far are we into? 34. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Sweet. So we have this entire story of what happens when Jesus gets to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So we're going to break this into three sections tonight. And the first section, we're going to be talking about how the demons acknowledged and knew who Jesus was. Then we're going to talk about Jesus' authority over them. And then the last thing is we're going to be talking to how people responded to Jesus. Is that they, they had this experience miracle that these demoniacs were so violent that people couldn't go anywhere near where they were located. So Jesus heals them. But so the response we would think is gratitude because of how violent these people were. They were essentially taking land that people norm, like people couldn't walk through. But instead they asked him to leave. And so we're going to examine why they would do that. And so one thing that I wanted to know about this section of scripture is that this story is in the other um, synoptic gospels. So the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And why there's the synoptic gospels is because they have a lot of things in common and they're, they're like, but they're all written very differently because they all had three different authors with three different audiences. And so they're, this story of Jesus, like essentially setting the demoniac free and sending them into the pigs is in the three synoptic gospels. But what's unique about Matthew's story is he's the only one that says there were two people possessed by demons. And so um, usually in the Bible, if you start seeing like repetition in themes, stories, there's something incredibly significant about this story that the, uh, the authors wanted you to know and to read. And so, um, we're going to go into the first section of scripture, which is verses 28 through uh, verses 28 and 29. And so you have this experience. Jesus gets on the other side and these demons, they see like this demon possessed, demon possessed men see Jesus and immediately they cry out to him. And it's giving context that they were violent and that nobody could go near the area. And so there are certain things that we can assume as we dive deeper into scripture. Uh, demon possession, kind of scary. They were outside of community because they were so violent, people couldn't be anywhere near them. But what's interesting is that their response to seeing Jesus was calling him the son of God. And so even the demons acknowledged who Jesus was. And that is a part of the adventure but before we even dive into that i felt like it was important to talk about demons which as i was researching this i was like this is so weird um because it's a the first time somebody ever said the word demons around me when i was not a christian i was about to like throw down because i was like you are freaking me out because they're like angels are protecting you from the demons i was like girl you uh-uh like it's gonna get ghetto why are you even touching me right now because she was praying with me and then she was like, demons. I was like, uh-uh. Because I just think weird things. Like, what do you think about when you hear the word, like, demons? Free for all. What do you think? Tui, what do you think about when you hear the word demons? Or I say, let's talk about demons. <laughs> I don't know. It's something kind of like uh, evil things I cannot see. Yeah. You know, like, kind of scary. I don't know. Like, that reason why I never watching a scary movie because that's kind of like... Mm-hmm. Having all of these demon things in there, that, yeah. You know, I don't know. Linz, I saw your face when I was like, "Let's talk about demons." Yeah. Well, I watch a lot of scary movies, and when I was little, <laughs> I was the weirdest child and would like look up on the internet, like all of the like, uh, like the Catholic records of like uh, exorcism stuff. As one does. But, as one does as a child. But, I don't know about that one. Um, but <laughs> I always wonder if when we read about like demon-possessed people in the Bible, is it like that? Or is it like, like now we say like our demons, like that's something we're struggling with. Yeah. So okay. I always wonder like if it's ever talking about it in that way mm-hmm. instead of like what we 
like what horror movies mm-hmm. depict demons to be as. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that. I don't know. I spent the majority of my time studying for the sermon reading about demons. And something to learn is that the Old Testament doesn't have a very robust explanation of demons. It doesn't really talk about it. So our understanding of demons and the English word of demon comes from the Greek word that's found in this text, which is daemon. And it essentially, what was, um, daemon is used in the section of scripture to refer to the demons possessing the men. Demon essentially means a divinity or a deity and any divinity that is not God. Himself, um, God himself, that's a spirit that opposes who God is. Therefore, such spirits are evil, evil spirits or demon. And there is one, but there's only one devil. So there's the devil, the prince of darkness, and then there are demons who are the one third of angels. We read this in Revelation. <clears throat> one third of angels who rebelled against God and were kicked out of heaven. And so their world and their reality is ruling earth. And so as I studied this, I was like, this, this can get real weird real fast. And so um, the term demon possession in this scripture is, what, it's not what we think demon possession is. Because we think demon possession, like you think like the exorcist. You think about experiences like that. But this means essentially like almost as if a demon was like, on them and influencing them and so you generally in the bible demons are referred to different things like um and spirits demons and spirits are like the spirit of fear the spirit of murder the spirit of anger and that one so when people refer to their demons it generally i believe it's that understanding that this is something that they struggle with this is something that is on them that they struggle with like fear anger murder adultery and all these things and so we can see that in the New Testament, it is the spirits that oppose God. And so, which is really um, interesting because when Cardin was reading about, in the message, about like these demon-possessed people, the word wasn't possession. Uh, can you read the message one more time, what it said about the demons? Just a section when it describes the men. By two madmen, victims of demons. Victims of demons. And it's important to remember that demons are created beings. They are immortal and they are incapable of reconciliation with God. And so when they were taken out of heaven, the one third of God's army of angels were taken out of heaven because they rebelled with Lucifer. This, um, essentially, that moment of their rebellion, there was no reconciliation after that. But what's interesting is that in my study, it says that demons and demonic spirits have great power over people, but very little compared to God. And what God gives us is the authority over them so that they must flee in Jesus' name. They exist to serve the devil, and their job is to carry out the schemes of evil and oppose God. So where God desires healing, they want destruction. Where God wants to set free, they want to put in bondage. And in my study of demons, I had this mixed conflict of like, I... It's scary to teach this part of theology because of all of our experiences of what we hear about demons in scary movies and the devil and uh, what we have in popular culture. But what I want to hit home as we talk about demonic spirits and evil spirits is that demons and evil spirits cannot possess or go into a believer Because the gift of Jesus, what he says right before he ascended was that after me will will come one who will be known as the great counselor and he will dwell within you. And the New Testament talks about how the Holy Spirit dwells within our body. So the Spirit of God is in us. And because the Spirit of God is in us, we have the authority to, in Jesus' name, to put, like, to cast out demons. And even that sounds like... So we have the authority to cast out demons, and um, it sounds weird when I say that out loud. Just BT dubs. Just like for me even saying it. But it's so important to remember that whatever you feel right now as we talk about evil spirits and demonic activity is that you should remember that they do have power. They are power more powerful than us, but because of Jesus, we have the authority over them and so um um and we as we dive deeper into this is that um 
I wrote that their job is related to the threefold method that the devil took with Eve. So if we think back to the story in the garden, when the devil in the form of a snake essentially fools Eve and attacks Eve, he did three very specific things. He denied the truth of God's word and he challenged it. Well, did God really tell you that? Is that what he really said? Is that really true? And then he denied the reality of death is that if you eat of this apple, you will be like God. We all die. Humanity all dies. But God is everlasting and ever being. So the devil says, well, then you'll be like him. So being like God means you won't die. And then the devil appeals to human vanity and pride by telling men and women that they can become like gods or to be gods. Again, appealing to, well, did he really say that? And you can be exactly like him. And it was interesting. So one of my favorite things to do ever is watch things like uh, Three Wives and a Husband or uh, documentaries about fundamental Mormonism. Because I just think that's a jolly old good time. And so I was watching one. (laughs) And they were talking about their beliefs as fundamental Mormons. Which is essentially the reason that they marry a lot of wives and have a lot of children is so that they would be like God in, and their children and their wives would populate their own planet. And they wholeheartedly believe this. And I'm watching this. It's on Netflix, by the way. There's four episodes. <laughs> Just heads up. Um, you can watch it too. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was watching this and it was so interesting because it's like they fully believed and were convinced that they could be like God. And that is like, so the stress of being married to multiple women and the chaos of that is so that they can learn selflessness. And I, I've asked Riley, I'm like, would you like multiple wives? And he's like, it's stressful enough to have one. <laughs> so just, just imagine like three of them. And it's like, I don't think I need multiple husbands to know that marriage is hard. <laughs> and it's like hard to be selfless. I don't think it's going to like having three of you is going to be more helpful to me to understand <laughs> the character of God. It is true, yeah. Right? And so that's what's interesting because before I started studying this, I didn't realize that demonic spirits, evil spirits, do, are trying to do to us what they exactly what they did to Eve. Made us question the truth of God and appeal to our vanity that we can be like God's. That we can run our own show. That we are in control of everything. And so and, and so, the, the Gospels use a very specific word for um, like be somebody having a demon or being demonized. And it says a person is said to have a demon or to be demonized. The English translation, translation demon possession um, for the Greek word is misunderstood and is associated with the idea of It's more associated with the idea of ownership, that the term rather designates the influence or control exercised over a person by a demonic spirit. So it's not, so that was the part where I'm like that, I can see where that can get a little wonky if you just read the Bible and you don't dig deeper into demonic activity and demon possession. And so my question, my first question in this sermon is like, have you ever had a demonic experience? (laughs) like welcome to house church Uh, but this was a really interesting why I wanted to add this question in here because I think oftentimes we can experience things and because we're not aware we don't understand it until like retrospect and so like one of my experiences that I shared at house church was for as I remember I was sitting in the Seattle Starbucks and this guy just started talking to me and he was asking me what I was doing and then I said I was getting ready to go to church and then he started visibly getting really upset and like and so I just like stopped talking to him and then I had this moment where I looked into his eyes and it's like I've shared this is like when you look into someone's eyes you get a sense of who they are you sense compassion or kindness or something like that but I looked into this guy's eyes and I sensed nothing that there was like this deep, deep blackness and darkness and void that I, I have never experienced in my life. But in that moment, I was able to discern like that person had been influenced of something <coughs> evil and dark that I couldn't experience. Like I have never like seen before. 
And then I had this other experience. I think we were dating at the time. I was coming home and I just sensed that something was like around me. And like, and I'm not one who would say like I'm super spiritually sensitive to these things, but I just had this sense where I felt very uncomfortable and very like, like just watched. And so I remember calling Riley and I was like, this is what I'm feeling. He's like, just get into the house. And I remember getting into my door in my house in Edmonds. You kind of have to walk along that narrow little path that didn't have any lights for me to get into my house. And I knew I was physically safe. But there was something inside of me that told me I was spiritually in this like chaos. And so I quickly get into my house and I close all my blinds and I was praying because I was like freaked out. It just felt like there was something that I couldn't, I've never experienced before, but it was something that was like, it almost, this is going to sound super silly, but it's the only way that I can like explain how we can imagine it. But it's like, do you remember in harry potter and the dementors like they couldn't come the light was what they didn't like but they would hover around a space right like they would hover around hogwarts anybody anybody visualizing that yeah and that's what it felt like was something was hovering around my space which seems really weird but and they couldn't get me but they were around me and i couldn't explain it but i remember i was sitting in my bedroom that night and I was praying because I was like freaked out and I just I just knew without a shadow of a doubt that there was something that I couldn't understand right outside of my window and I couldn't put my hand on it I just knew that I was discerning inside of myself that there was some spiritual stuff that was happening around me and and not threatening me because I knew that Um, because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit that they could not overtake me. But it was really like this crazy experience of just like this, this sense of like, this is real. Anybody have a similar demonic experience? (laughs) (laughs) Rebecca, do you want to share something that is related to this question? Um, First off, I have not seen Harry Potter or read books. Okay, you're not missing out. Just think of scary things hovering around you. And second of all, um, one night I had my, I had Riley over my half-brother's half-sister. Got it. <laughs> so she was over and I had a TV in, in my room at that time. Mm-hmm. And I was allowed to watch it. And I have the DVD hooked up to it. And then they had it the other way. But anyway, um, I snuck out, outside my room. I grabbed a movie, mm-hmm. the shelf. And I got the movie I wasn't looking for, but put it in, and I watched it, and gave me nightmares that whole entire night. And it was spooky vibes. Yeah. That is a scary one. Do not watch it. Thank you for sharing that story. I have seen most of the Buddy movies. Air Buds, all the Air Bud ones. But this Um, was a Halloween one. Yes, and there was... I remember the last time I watched a scary movie, it was my senior year of college. The last time I watched a scary movie, it was called The Devil's Advocate. No joke. I remember watching it. I was like, this isn't scary. It's Keanu Reeves. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's a scary movie. No, it was a scary movie because it's like he sold his soul for success to the devil. It gets better. And anyways, I have this experience and I'm like, this is not a scary movie. I can watch this. And I watch it and no joke. Don't mock me, babe. Not joke. You're looking at me like you're mocking me with your eyes. I'm looking at you like I'm intent. Like it's my wife. She's on the story. (laughs) Okay. Anyways. And I remember going to bed and I slept on a bed and my roommate slept on a cot next to me because she didn't want to sleep on a bed. She wanted to sleep in a cot, whatever. And... She was a super light sleeper, but anyways, I wake up in the middle of the night. I didn't even know what time it was, but the weirdest thing was that I couldn't move. And I was laying there, and I couldn't move, and then I look at the bottom of my bed, and I see these things coming over me, and it felt very, it just felt weird, but it was like this thing's coming over me, and in my mind, I'm like, I'm freaking losing my mind. I am screaming, and I just 
started, I closed my eyes and I just started praying because I didn't know what else to do. And I just started calling on the name of Jesus and I'm laying there, I'm laying there. And then eventually I'm like, and then I fell asleep. And then the next day I was like, Lindsay, because that was her name. Uh, But I was like, Lindsay, did you, did you hear me last night? And she goes, what are you talking about? I was like, I was freaking out. I was screaming. And she goes, no, I didn't hear a single thing. And that was the last time I watched a scary movie. So I just, just contacts. Like that was the last time. So I, we've had experiences where we experienced things that we couldn't necessarily put our hands on. But what we were able to discern was that this thing that we were experiencing was not aligning and abiding what, what, what we know is true. And so, but what's interesting is that even, we talked about it earlier, it's like one of the points is like, even the demons got it. Jesus steps off a boat and they say, son of God, what do you want with us? It is not the appointed time. So that indicates to us two things. The demons got it and we're still trying to figure it out. (laughs) But what was interesting is when they acknowledge that this isn't the appointed time, it means that there is an appointed time. That there will come a time where they will be cast into eternity in hell. But now is not the time. So they understand that the time is coming. But they knew that it wasn't it. We have entered into a time where we know that is coming. But we are still struggling to say that Jesus is the son of God. And the demons, the very people who rebel against God himself, can identify that this is a man of authority. That this is the son of God. And they call him exactly how he is. And so even in their demonic state, they recognized Jesus and they called him by his his title. That in the Bible, especially in the Psalms, it says that all of creation knows who God is. All of creation cry out and know who God is. The demons, they cry out because we'll see in his multiple interactions with demonic spirits that they are able to say, that is the son of God. What do you want with me? What is happening? And we're over here still trying to figure it out. Because the title son of God was not something that you just like loosely called somebody. Like, sup, son of God, hanging out. We don't say that to anybody. But they called him exactly his role and his purpose. And I just thought about it. It's like, they get it, but we're still trying to figure it out. That the very people who are rebelling against, the very creatures created immortal things that are rebelling against God still can identify exactly who he is. And we live in a world and a mindset where we do not want to acknowledge and give Jesus the rightful place. And so what they ask him is like, what do you want with us? And this is not the right time. And then we move into the second set of scriptures where it says there happened to be a a herd of pigs feeding in the distance, which seems like a hard, like right turn. So there's a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance so the demons begged, if you cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. And Jesus' response was, all right, go. Jesus commanded them, so the demons came out of the men and entered the pigs. And the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. That was weird. Did you read? It's like, they have this experience with Jesus, and then all of a sudden it takes a sharp low, right? And they're like, so there was a herd of pigs. But then it goes back to the demon saying, if you're going to cast this out, can you send us into there? So what is also being told about what the demons know and we're still trying to get is that even they are submitted to the authority of Jesus. That they have to ask permission of what they can do. It's like when Jesus has these experience with demonic evil spirits, they are under his authority. So the set, while we're in the midst of these miracles, and we're not just talking about these healing miracles, but we're talking about discipleship. We're talking about Jesus' authority because Matthew was constantly trying to show that Jesus was a man of authority, that Jesus is the Messiah, and these is all the ways that he is Messiah. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about how the centurion who was a Gentile, was able to acknowledge that Jesus was a man of authority, that Jesus didn't have to go to his house to heal his slave. Jesus could just say that his slave was healed and his slave would be healed. So this Gentile gets that Jesus is a man of authority. 
And then what happens is that the demons get that Jesus is a man of authority. And then the very people that Jesus is trying to be like, I am a man of authority. They're like, I don't know if I believe you. I don't know who you are. They're on the boat with him. A storm is happening. They're like, wait, who is this guy? It's okay. You just saw him heal all these people and have all this experience and walk, watch people submit to his authority. Now you're seeing demons submit to his authority. And you still don't get it. And I've shared before that the hardest people to ever share the gospel with are people who think they know exactly what it's about and they don't need to learn anything else. So Jesus has this experience and we need to know that exorcism was a normal part of Jesus's ministry. That releasing people and healing people from their demonic state was normal for him. So even in their demonic state, they knew who he was. But, oh, yeah, Tui? I'm sorry, no. no. Um, I had a question. Oh, not really. Perfect. But like, I have no idea what exorcism means. Oh. Essentially is if exorcism, the way I describe it, we should probably also like find the like technical definition. But exorcism is essentially the removal of a demon from a person. Exercising, removing them from that person. Cast out. Casting them out of that person. That's pretty much the... That's the definition. Yeah. yeah. So my question, and then Rebecca, you can answer this question, is if exorcism was a normal part of Jesus' experience and his ministry, the removal of it, how does an exorcism work in the overall narrative of discipleship? Because remember, it's important to read scripture in its context. So we're still in the context of... Jesus doing miracles. We're still in the context of the disciples following him. And he's like, are you sure you want to follow me? And then now in the midst of that greater context of following Jesus, you have this exorcism story. You have this story of Jesus experiencing two violent demoniacs. And so violent that people couldn't travel the road that they were anywhere near. So violent that they couldn't be in the other gospels that they would break free of their chains. So how does exorcism in the greater context and narrative work into what we understand to be the message of discipleship? Rebecca, can you answer that question or can you share directly to this question? Um, um, so the other question was I was going back to. Thank you for sharing that. Can anybody else share how you think exorcism works? Um, I think it's to like show that um, he's, I, I guess, to prove mm-hmm. that he is the Son of God, that he mm-hmm. can make them leave those people. Mm-hmm. That's good. What are you thinking, Lince? And also maybe that, like, they would leave and then it's replaced with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tristan? I kind of like the whole authority thing. It's like you know he has control. Mm-hmm. You know that he's the one that's actually in power. Yeah. That is spot on every single person and what you said is that this is another confirmation that Jesus has control and that Jesus is one of authority and as I was thinking about like why this matters is that authority is a part of discipleship to know like being a disciple of Christ requires that we are submitted to his authority but also being a follower of Christ means that we need to know that we have authority And so it's this, we are submitted under Jesus' authority, but we, because of who Jesus is and the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, we have authority to cast out demons. We have authority to say, leave. We have authority to bind up demons in the name of Jesus. And um, I remember this one time. So Kyrie didn't walk until she was almost 18 months. And she just wouldn't walk. And we would do the walker. We would do all these things. And she just wouldn't. And I was meeting with my mentor one day, 
and we're sitting there and we're talking and I was telling her about what the pediatrician said. And the pediatrician said, if she doesn't get up and walk before she's 18 months, we're going to have to force her to walk in physical therapy. And because they couldn't, they're like, I don't know why she's not walking. And I was like, I don't feel like that's the direction I want to go. So I was telling my mentor this. Kyrie was taking a nap. And she goes, and she looked at me and she was like this old, like spunky lady. And she goes on, I believe that there's something on your daughter and it is binding her from walking. And I'm like, uh, like one, creeped out. <laughs> and two, why is it messing with my daughter? And so she's like, so I'm going to pray. And I'm like, okay, you do you, Jeannie. You pray. You pray, pray. And so she just sits down. We hold hands. And she goes, I bind up this spirit, whatever it is, in the name of Jesus. I cast it into the pits of hell. And I say, rise up and walk. Amen. Boom. That was it. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. All right. <laughs> well, uh, I didn't feel anything. It wasn't like this crazy moment where like all of a sudden in our living room, a great wind rushed through and I just knew that the spirit worked and moved. And I was like, okay, cool, cool. And we kept talking. And then I remember I took Kyrie out of, um, she woke up and um, I put her in the middle of the living room and me and Jeannie just keep talking. And then all of a sudden, boop, she stands up and she just starts walking. She wasn't holding on to anything. She just gets up and she starts walking. And that was the craziest experience ever because the moment where Jeannie said, I bind it up in the name of Jesus, I cast it into the pits of hell, and I say, rise up and walk. She was all praying things that we see in scripture. That we have the power to bind evil spirits in the name of Jesus. We put them where they belong, which is in hell. And then when you remove something from a place, and we'll study this later in scripture, is that if, if your body is like a house and there are things on it or in it, when you remove it, it says that they will come back. So, But they won't come back if they know it is dwelled with something else. So it's like if I, no one's going to rob my house if they know that there are people in it and there is noise and there is life, they're probably not going to burst in during home church and we're like, we're robbing you. This is not how it works. They're going to wait when it doesn't feel like there's any movement, any life, and they're going to break in. And that is what she explained to me is like demonic activity is that when there is no life and there is no movement and there is no light, that is when it will happen and they will come back with their friends. But no one will... They, you would even know if that when someone is filled with the spirit of God and there is life and there is light, which is who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is in us, that we, when we remove it, so when she said, I bind it up in the name of Jesus, she, that was the removal. I cast it into the pits of hell. That was putting it where it belonged. And then I say, rise up and watch. She was praying that the Holy Spirit would fill Kyrie, that Whatever she took out, that the Holy Spirit would pour in what needed to happen. And it was a crazy experience because she just get like out of nowhere, pops up, starts walking, never stopped walking, also never stopped talking. And then she went. And that was this crazy experience to me. But what Jeannie did was that Jeannie understood that she was under Jesus' authority, but that because she was under his authority, because of who he is to her, she was a woman of authority. And this is the thing is that we can walk around life. And this isn't even part of what I wrote. But it's like we can walk around life. If you are a Christian. If you love Jesus. And Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. In your life to fill your life. There's no need to live this life. Walking around wondering. If Jesus wins this eternal battle. We keep talking about. That we don't need to walk around life. And think that we live in defeat. But we are people with authority, under authority. And that is a huge part of discipleship. That is a huge part of the miracle experience is that we are filled with authority. That when we pray, people can be healed. Not because of our power. It's because of who Jesus is in us. It is not because of what we are capable of doing. It is who we understand Jesus is capable of being in us. And so when we walk into a space as people under authority and with authority, we have the ability to change the atmosphere. 
that we are able to bring light into darkness. We are able to bring the Spirit of God in us, through us, in places where they so desperately need it. So when we don't understand that we are people under authority and with authority, we walk around defeated and weak. And we are not meant to walk around defeated and weak because we should have the spirit and authority and boldness that is available through the Holy Spirit. Because it is the Spirit of God that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. And that same Spirit of God, was Jesus said, would be dwelling in us. So the same Spirit of God that brought on resurrection is the same spirit of God that dwells within us. I would say that is a spirit of power and authority and boldness. And so how this links into this overall narrative of discipleship is that this is another story of how Jesus is in control, but the reality is a story of how we are not in control. So the question here that I want us to talk about is if Jesus has the power over the supernatural, because he told the demons, all right, go into the pigs. And then they all stormed off a cliff and drowned. So if Jesus has the authority over the supernatural, then why wouldn't he just get rid of all the demons? Why wouldn't he just bind up all the evil spirits so that there would be no more? Yeah. So, yeah, I guess the only way they, I know uh, that God is to exist in this world is when you tell him the story, right? Like when the magic, uh, uh, you know, like miracle that you yeah. talked about. But even like that is, he is always let, you know, like can we that able to walk like normally like 18 months, then maybe that we don't even know. Mm-hmm. That you never actually tell him the story, and I probably never know. That's good. Rebecca, why, if Jesus has the power over the supernatural, then why wouldn't he just get rid of all the demons? Because he might know they will just come back one day and so make, like, have, like, if Satan came back and came and they, like, tricked someone, mm-hmm. then all of them would come back out. What do you think, Chase? Mm. Not really sure on it. It's a little confusing sometimes. Yeah. I think it's just things that we don't talk about, right? That's a big part of it. It's a huge thing, and then it almost feels scary because it's not something that we talk about, and what we know is informed by culture of what demon, the devil, and all that looks like. I, and I mean, this is my, this is not, I didn't study why that would happen. I would say my personal opinion of why is that, one, there would be an appointed time where they will all be gone anyways. But the second one is choice. That there are people who have demonic stuff happening around them and to them and through them because of the choices that they have made to participate in evil and dark things. Like, I know myself, because of how sensitive I am, that there's just certain things that I will not do and will not participate in. So, like, you want to play Ouija board? Not in my house. You want to summon the dead? Not here. You want to listen to angry music? that is talking about really evil stuff, Mm -mm, not in my place. So there has to be a choice. And I think the choice is a factor. Is like, what will you expose yourself to? What will you surround yourself with? Because Jesus already has authority over them. He can get rid of all of them, but they just acknowledge that there is an appointed time where they will all be cast into hell. But he still doesn't do it because I think God loves us so much that we will still have that choice. Yeah? Um, I think it kind of goes back to Eve because she chose mm-hmm. to disobey. Yeah? Same kind of thing. Like, and that's a huge theological debate is 
Well, if God loves us, then why did he allow Eve to be put in a situation where we she could choose to disobey and to forever choose to be cast out? So why? Constantly testing our faith. Constantly testing our faith? What do you think, Linz? Well, yeah. Um, not only did like Eve have the power to choose, but like even before Eve, like he made the tree of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eve, I don't, I mean, Adam wasn't created at that point, was he? Like, did he make it before he created mm-hmm. humans at all? Yeah. So, I don't know. I just think, I don't know what that means, mm-hmm. but I just think about that a lot. I think, and I'm still working this, my understanding, but it's like, I think he allowed it to happen because he loves us Mm -hmm. and we have love is choice. Mm -hmm. Love is saying like, I am, you get to choose whether or not you're going to be committed to this thing. Mm -hmm. And there are so many things in our life where we will choose whether or not we will be committed to this thing. Yeah. Like uh, today we had a discussion with uh, our intern ambassadors and we talked about our values and when you know what you stand for and you tell people what you stand for, you have to have actions that stand with it. Can't just say like, these are my values and I don't live this way, but it's your values match your word. And so when we know what we value, we stand upon that and we make a choice. Because again, every single day, we will be given opportunities to not choose Jesus. When people want to be mean that it to you that is a choice whether or not you are going to choose to honor jesus when when money is tight and you don't know how things are going to happen that right there is a choice will you trust jesus when you have experiences that you don't have control over you have a choice will you trust the control of jesus and so they're constantly given opportunity and i think that is why is because if he casted all the demons out into the place where they will spend all of eternity, if he removes all that evil, then where will our choice be if everything is just good? Will we know the difference? Like, I think about our kids, and we intentionally, well, at least I do, I don't know about you, babe, intentionally put them into decision places where they have to decide, will they obey? Will they listen? And sometimes... They don't? Wait, wait, why are you laughing? Uh, I'm thinking about yesterday, Kenzie did something. And I she just, lied to us. Well, she does, but then there was something else the other day where... She slapped your sister? Because she was hot and frustrated. No. Oh. She was putting something in her mouth or something. Her thumb? <laughs> just an example. He's thinking of an example. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I was like, is this a guessing game? No. <laughs> Oh, right. Okay. I don't know. Oh. I don't know. You can't try to pull stuff out. I don't know. I'll think about it. I think, like, in experience, it's like when we tell our kids their boundaries and they're surrounded with people who tell them, like, who encourage them to break boundaries. So I remember this one time we were here and we were at church and we, like, we were like, Kyrie, tapped out. No, like, you got to take a break. Like, 20 minutes and see if you're hungry because she eats super fast like me so like 10 tacos in 10 minutes like that's because I haven't even learned so I'm trying to teach my child how to learn to regulate (laughs) her body and we had this experience and Riley told me later but then he we said no more chips or something like that because she's a Johnson she likes carbs (laughs) and we're sitting out and then Riley was able to watch outside and he saw a kid one of the kids I can't remember who it was but say to Kyrie do you want chips I'll get you chips and Kyrie goes, no, my parents told me that I can't have any more. And it was that moment where we could have been like, no more, sit next to me, and then I'll watch you. Mm-hmm. When we say no more and then go out and see, it's like that release and that trust and that choice is that we have to make that choice every day. And so you have the second experience, the second set of uh, verses where the demons say, if you're going to send us anywhere, send us into the pigs. And then Jesus says, fine, go. And then the pigs all of a sudden, in a distance, run off of a cliff and drowned. Which I never understood why they would just run off a cliff and drowned. But then we, we kind of understand why in the following scriptures what it says. The herd, herdsmen fled to the nearby town telling everyone what happened to the demon-possessed man. 
And then the entire town came out and they begged him to go away and leave them alone. Which is not exactly what we think they would want because here are these two people who are probably a part of their town who were just delivered and besides his deliverance, whatever area that they couldn't walk into anymore because these men were so violent, they could because the men were healed. But instead, they're like, nah, you gotta go. And so things to keep in mind here is that the the Jews thought that pigs, or still think that pigs and pork is an unclean animal to eat. And so the fact that there are a ton of pigs and a ton of herdsmen indicates to us that they were in a Gentile region. The fact that you have these witnesses besides Jesus and his disciples seeing this entire experience. These other witnesses seeing, here's a guy talking to these demon-possessed people, and then all of a sudden our pigs are off a cliff and they're drowning themselves. So they go to a nearby town, and in some translations it says that they told him everything that happened and about the demon-possessed man. And so the conversation is everything that happens would include if these were pig herders and this was their flock and their entire flock just ran off a cliff, that is also their livelihood that went off the cliff with the demons. So they were probably also reporting to the rest of the town that their prophet is gone. It's drowned. And the the story of the demon-possessed man and men were this afterthought. Everything is gone. Then you have to think, why is everything gone? The demon-possessed men. But they did not talk, by scripture we can tell, they probably didn't talk about how the demon-possessed men were healed and delivered. It was most likely that the demon-possessed men and the demons that possessed them were the cause of that. And so the town comes out. And they beg him to leave. And what I want, because I was thinking about like what is my so what here. Is that Jesus in this story shows that people will always matter over profit. Because the question is, do you think Jesus thought about what it meant to these pig herders? To see them all jump off of a cliff. Did he consider the cost that the town will have to pay for the restoration and healing of two of their own. What? Allowing those demons to be there. I mean, I'm sure they were written off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lost causes. We're just going to leave them over there being violent on their own to each other. Yeah. What do you think, Tristan? What was the question here? Do you think that Jesus thought about what it meant to the pig herders to see all of their pigs jump off the cliff? Uh, not exactly like monetary value or anything, mm-hmm. but more of the message he sent to them. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes it takes something drastic like that to actually get something across to someone else. Mm-hmm. And that's what he was going for. That's good. I think part of me, when I read the scripture, I think, like, why would Jesus do that? Why would he go send the pigs to die? And the reality is the demons took over the pigs and they mm-hmm. chose to do what they did. Mm-hmm. They made them die. It's not. It's not like the intention of Jesus sending them into the pigs was so they go jump and die. Mm-hmm. That wasn't his intention. Is the demons who made that decision to do that? So, in light of that, then you think if the Jesus sends the demons into the pigs and then the demons drove the pigs over the cliff, then what is their victory in that moment? Because the entire town lost its profit. And because they're aware of human nature, the town asked Jesus to leave that no one else would be restored. No one else suffering will be healed. 
And that victory might seem like that they won in that moment. But in this moment, Jesus says, people will always matter over profit. Profit. People will always matter. When Jesus heals on the Sabbath, he's saying, restoring people matters way more than religious duty. Setting people free and bringing them back to community will always be worth more than looking like you have your crap together all the time. That kingdom work will affect our livelihood. It will affect our life. That if we are to participate in the work that Jesus has called us to do, then we must be willing to commit our lives that people matter more than profit. That restoration of people, healing of people, inviting them back into community will always be inconvenient and uncomfortable because Jesus was constantly making people uncomfortable and constantly inconveniencing them. Every interruption along the way where he was trying to get to a destination and his disciples were like, these are interruptions. He's like, no, this is me telling you and showing you that these are not interruptions, they're opportunities. But what it means is that in the greater scope of the conversation of discipleship, Jesus is saying, are you sure you want to follow me? But it's because it will cost you. Are you sure you want to follow me? Because it's inconvenient. Are you sure you want to follow me? Because it's super uncomfortable. But he brings it back to people matter, not just Jew, but also Gentile, that he came to give them freedom and give them the opportunity to choose relationship. So his narrative, these mist of miracles, you're seeing him walk through all these experiences of healing people. Breaking Sabbath law by healing somebody on Sabbath law. Sending the demons into the pigs. And them losing profit. Having encounters with people who were excommunicated from community calling the Jews out that the Jews didn't get what Jesus was trying to do, but this Gentile centurion got it. Is that kingdom work will cost us our life. So are we willing to still do it? Because that was the first question he started asking these people who were like, yeah, I'll follow you. And he's like, but are you sure? And here's the thing is that I don't believe the church will grow if we don't preach the entirety of the gospel when we actually tell people what it actually means to follow Jesus. It will mean your life. It will mean that you will give your life for this greater purpose, this greater cause. Inviting people and their mess into your life and you giving your mess to other people's lives. That comes at a cost. It comes at the cost of pride. It comes to the cost of hacking like we have our crap together. It comes at the cost of inconvenience and discomfort. And that is who Jesus is. They begged him to leave. Because he restored two people who were so violent that nobody could go anywhere near them. But now they, have con- they can go back to that land. That they couldn't go on because the two demon-possessed people were so violent. And the thing that I want us to know is that in this greater scheme, this greater narrative of discipleship, Jesus is asking because he knows our humanity, are you sure? Are you willing to pay the cost? Every opportunity we have to not choose Jesus is an opportunity of like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? In full disclosure, full transparency, every week, Riley knows this, I have to ask myself, am I sure I want to do this? Am I sure I want people in my home every single week Am I sure I want to do what it takes to know the names of these children? I ask myself, am I sure I want to work full time and do this? And it's not just this, it is the idea of following Christ. Because we live in a world that is increasingly 
in denial of who Jesus is. Am I sure? The other day, Ky Riley and I, probably Kyrie and I too, let's be real. She's quite the deep thinker. But Riley and I had this conversation like, what do you think it would live to, what do you think it would be like to live without any belief? Because we have really like surface level conversations. <laughs> like, what do you think it'd be like to live without belief or without knowledge of Jesus? Because I don't know about you, but I'm constantly counting the cost. And I constantly have to face my humanity and think, oh my gosh, do I actually want to do that? But something that I have to remember, and I hope that you remember, and that we can impart to each other, that it is always worth it to follow Jesus. I have never regretted a single act of, act of obedience to God. If that meant my livelihood, if that meant our home, that and when we were able to, we moved in nine days. We sold our house and just moved. Was it worth the cost? I can look at a ton of things that we have done and said, absolutely. But every day, every week, I think Jesus is giving me opportunity to say, are you sure? And I have to choose absolutely. Today, I am sure. Right now, in this moment, I am sure. Because I am counting the cost of what it means to follow you. I'm figuring out what that looks like. So he has all these things. He's asking them, are you sure you want to follow me? Because guess what? We're about to land. Wait, we're about to go into a body of water that you as fishermen know is extremely violent. Are you sure? We're going to land on the other side. We're going to experience some good old fashioned demonic activity. Are you sure? You're going to see this great thing, and then we will be asked to leave. How humiliating is that? Are you sure? Are you sure you want to be inconvenienced, uncomfortable, humiliated, cost you your life, cost you your profit, cost you your, like, your home, your relationships, your plans? Are you sure?